Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. In case you haven't noticed, we are in the season of parables. Last week, Jesus told that story of the unjust manager, that parable which contrasted Christ-like behavior to a worldly boss commending a worldly manager for using worldly wisdom. That parable ended in John chapter 16, verse 13, with this admonition from Jesus, you cannot serve God and wealth. Turns out our lectionary planners chose to skip a few verses before beginning this week's gospel. In particular, we missed verse 14, which reads, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed Jesus. As usual, the Pharisees are not far away, fuming about all the attention that Jesus is receiving and the threat he is becoming to their theology, their livelihood, their power, their way of life. So whenever it's possible, they're eavesdropping in on the conversation. Even though Jesus isn't even talking to them, they're trying to trip him up. They're listening, and they're also interrupting him. Don't you hate it when that happens? You're talking to one person and someone else says, hey, now, wait a minute. And you say, hold on, I'm not even talking to you right now. The Pharisees. Scripture tells us that they were lovers of money and that they derided Jesus. That is, they looked down their nose at him with an arrogant and a pious attitude. So Jesus uses this as an opportunity, teaching his disciples how to live. He tells a parable himself about two lives two deaths, and two hereafters, two people who lived and died and were judged by God. There was a certain rich man, we hear, who was clothed in purple, that's the color of royalty, by the way, and fine linen, very expensive designer clothing, and he fared sumptuously, that is, he ate well every single day. There was also a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate. Now, we don't know who this certain rich man was, but we can presume from Jesus' location and the simple fact that his audience was all Jewish that the star of the parable was a certain Jewish man who was very wealthy. And why is this important? Because the Pharisees, who loved money, who held a theology that included a strong belief that if you have a lot of money, there is direct proof that God has blessed you. So when those Pharisees and all others who heard a certain rich man, they would immediately think, oh, God has blessed him. That's a good man. That's a godly man because God has rewarded him with wealth. On the other hand, someone who's a beggar in most circles of first century Palestine was considered cursed by God. The very opposite, that something had happened in their life to cause them to be in this condition, perhaps and and probably some infraction some behavior, some sin. And with that God, with the immediately cause and effect relationship, would be cursing that person. So that's what everybody's thinking as they hear this parable, the logical thought process of the audience. Did you notice that the beggar had a name? A certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, we've heard of Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, who died and was left there in the tomb for four days and then was miraculously raised from the dead by Jesus. 
He's at the center of the most stunning of Jesus' miracles, and also a sermon I preached a few months ago that hopefully, unlike Lazarus, didn't stink. This isn't that Lazarus. But here's something you should know. This Lazarus today is the only person, the only person in all of Jesus' parables ever to have a name. All the rest of them, labels. Think about it. The sower, the father, the prodigal son, the debtor, the master, the Pharisee, the shepherd, the widow. The list goes on and on. But this poor, wretched fellow today, he got a name, a legitimate name. I don't believe for a second that Jesus did that unintentionally. I'm thinking there was a very good reason why this certain beggar had a name. Remember, so often Jesus does just the opposite of what people would expect. So then we can ponder this morning, whose name are we most likely to know? The wealthy person in the news every single day or the homeless person we might encounter right here in our neighborhood? I'm pretty sure most of us would recognize Jeff Bezos or Taylor Swift or Michael Jordan or Queen Elizabeth, even though we've never physically, or at least I haven't, met them even though we might have never had them over to our house for a dinner. By the way, Lucy West, my daughter, would choose Taylor Swift, of course. And who would I pick? Michael Jordan. (laughs) Anyway, I think we can all agree, we know more about the wealthy and the powerful than the poor and the vulnerable. That's singular rather than the masses. I'm not here to talk about shame or guilt this morning, though. This is about the good news of Jesus and our opportunity to learn. According to the parable we hear this morning, if you were walking down Market Street with Jesus and you saw a rich man nearby and you asked Jesus, who's that? He might reply, oh, that's a rich man. But if you were to ask Jesus about a homeless person perched on the edge of the curb with a dog licking his sores, Jesus might say to you, yes, that is Lazarus. Saying the name of the beggar, not mentioning the name of the rich man is the exact opposite of what our culture trains us to expect. And speaking of expectations, which character in the parable today do you think was more surprised by his post-death situation? There's a lot that we could unpack about the eternal address of the rich man and Lazarus, about that rich man's plea for relief for himself, for those he loved, for his separation from God, about Lazarus's position next to not just anybody, But Abraham himself, for the crowd he was addressing, Jesus could not have picked a more impressive person for Lazarus to sit next to at a heavenly banquet. My friends, there's no way around this. Today's gospel calls us to ponder how we will account for our earthly lives, for our words, for our actions. But let's remember, we're actually called to ponder that every single Sunday when we come together, when we declare he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Let's remember that words are valuable and powerful, and incorporating them into our very being helps guide us all along the way. Paul tells us in chapter 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But here's the deal. I think before we get too hung up on the money part of this conversation today, you know, the rich man versus the beggar, I want to affirm that wealth wasn't Jesus' point. His point is to remember to use what we have, 
regardless of what we have, simply to the glory of God. In fact, we just heard Paul say to Timothy that the wealthy of this age have the opportunity to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. You know the they that Paul speaks of? They are us. When we choose to serve God, our wealth is one extension of many of that service. It is easier to remember that we did bring nothing into this world and likely will take nothing out of it, and that there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. But as for you, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made. See, I told you this was about the good news. Amen.